I encourage every woman who's interested in getting into the utility space to just be you, be the brilliant person that you are, be the bold person that you are, show that tenacity and your personality and your willingness to just gut it out and just go for it. Welcome to the Women in Utilities podcast. I'm your host, Madhavi Shankarling, and today I'm joined by Nancy Conda, the Director of Work Order Management and Data Quality at Centerpoint Energy. Nancy is a mechanical engineer who spent the last nine years in utilities, previously working in pharmaceuticals and pulp and paper. She shares some great anecdotes from her career, like Bob the Bear Who Couldn't Share, which is all about developing your people and leaving a legacy how she had to prove herself and keep her composure even under the most challenging and stressful circumstances, the importance of having a power board and knowing when to go to them and for what, and how she has stayed true to herself and shared those truths with others. Okay, let's get into it. So thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today, Nancy. I'm so excited to have you today. Thanks. I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you. Please tell me a little bit about the organization you work for and what your role is within that. I work for Centerpoint Energy. It's headquarters in Houston, Texas. We have about four and a half million gas customers and two and a half million electric customers across eight states. The biggest portion of that is obviously in the metro area of Houston, Texas, but we also have a big contingent in Indiana. We have roughly 9,500-ish employees, and I currently am the director of work order management and data quality. So the last time or the initial interaction we had, I was the director of safety management systems and quality, and I moved into work order management and data quality about six months ago, I guess now. So, and in that organization, it plays well with my previous roles within the utility industry. We're basically doing work order creation and then scheduling that work for the field to actually do the activities. They hand in the paperwork. We close out all the work orders so that it can be posted into our geospatial system, as well as posted in our financial system so that we can start, you know, revenue off of that. And then we have the quality review piece of it that's tied to all of our records, all the paperwork that's associated with that. And then from a geospatial perspective to make sure that all the stuff that we have in the field is really good quality information and attribution so that the folks that need it can actually use it. Excellent you're very passionate about safety and quality. And these are obviously very important issues for the utility industry. How have you developed or enhanced a a safety first culture and mindset in the organizations you've worked with? So you kind of have to look at it from the standpoint of you're probably not going to get it right the first time and that's okay. (laughs) It's a bit like continuous improvement. And sometimes you're going to take baby steps forward and maybe some toddler or even teenager kind of steps backward, but you have to keep going forward. Can't give up. And everybody has a different level of acceptance for change. So it's sort of an evolving plan, do, check, and adjust cycle. Often that methodology is used in continuous improvement, and that's what 
I've tried to use to help change the culture in the organization that I work in today. So from that perspective, I came from two different regulated industries prior to coming to the utility industry. So I worked in pulp and paper, and then I worked in pharmaceuticals. And those two are very regulated by um, the federal government because it's life and death in some situations for those activities. And what we're doing in utilities is very similar from that perspective. And most people don't think about it that way. But uh, we recently had a freeze event here in, believe it or not, in Houston, Texas in February. And it was 10 degrees Mm -hmm. for like four days. Nobody in the Houston area of two, at least 2 million people didn't have power for at least three days. And you don't realize how much you rely on electric and gas until you don't have it. And so understanding the repercussions of that to our customers and our communities, but also to our employees, the importance of you going home the way you came to work and what we need to do to mitigate risk for our employees or the workforce, our assets and the general public and understanding what your job, whether you're a rep that's answering the phone in the contact center to a guy that's in the field or a person that works in finance, how your job interacts with each part and piece of our organization to keep everyone safe every day. Amazing. And so recognizing that safety and quality improvements benefit the industry as a whole. How have you been able to share your successful safety and quality initiatives with the wider industry? Well, we've tried to do it from a grassroots perspective. The American Gas Association has a great community um, with different, I would say, committees, as well as they do a, a really cool thing that's called a peer review. And in that peer review, you go and visit a utility and you talk about a particular topic and there are individuals that come and talk to them for the week. They basically interview you and give you recommendations, talk about best practices that have worked at at their company. And we share openly what's worked and what hasn't worked. And so we've really tried to do that with safety management systems and that safety mindset through some of those efforts. And then also just sharing with anybody who would really listen or had questions about it. We went and made sure that we talked to each one of our regulatory agencies in the eight states we operate in. Um, to share what's going on. Uh, We participated in the American Petroleum Institute, and I even wrote a paper (laughs) about it. And I've even been published in a magazine uh, relative to our story of how we got to where we are um, and what sort of worked and what didn't work. And what we did doesn't necessarily, it's not cookie cutter. Let's put it that way. It's not going to work for every utility. You have to look at your culture, where your company is, how big your company is, and what the commitment level is in your organization today. Now, five years from now, it may be completely different. Maybe you'll have all in and everybody wants to do it. Um, But maybe right now your company is small or it doesn't have the time or the money to invest in big technology or brand new programs. So again, back to the baby steps concept, a couple of steps forward, 
and a couple steps back. Mm. <laughs> um, but I did really start all of that activity at my company with reaching out to the network of folks that I've worked with in other industries that are much more advanced, believe it or not, in the, than the utility industry on safety. And I understand that you have been involved in the Women and Leadership Committee of the Southern Gas Association. Could you tell us more about that? Sure. That committee has is two years in now. I'm the vice chair this year for that committee. So it was developed by the Southern Gas Association purely because if you look at the stats, right, there are very few women CEOs, right, in the utility space. I was reading an article in one of my quality magazines, I think last month, and we're like at less than a half of a percent. And diversity and inclusion, right, is getting to be a bigger and bigger topic and understanding what women bring to the table is hugely important for the Southern Gas Association. And they wanted to make sure that we were giving them a big enough voice. I know that you shared about being the only female in the room sometimes. And I feel like I want to make sure that I'm helping other women up in their careers and and highlighting them where I can and being their cheerleader or their mentor or their friend or an influencer or even a sponsor for someone in the industry. I don't think everybody gets that opportunity to do that or to be that for somebody so or to have that from someone. So I feel like the Women in Leadership program that we've created at SGA has allowed us to do that. We are getting just getting started. So um, we've identified some competencies that we want women to work on. And we're doing activities every quarter to reinforce those competencies and to help give women that leg up. Excellent. Earlier this week, the Energetic Women's Conference is something that came to my attention. And so I wanted to ask if this is something that you had been involved with or if there's anything you'd like to share about that conference. It is amazing. (laughs) Thank you (laughs) for even bringing it up. So uh, this is my seventh year. So this year was the 13th year of the conference. Um, Unfortunately, this year we had to do it virtually because of the global pandemic and last year's conference was canceled because of that. But it was just as amazing as it would have been in person, I feel like. I will say that I have worked in three different industries. This is a conference like no other. It is, you know, most conferences you go to are technical in nature, right? You're going to learn about something in integrity, or you're looking at new software or geospatial new upgrades, something technical related. But this conference, the MEA Energetic Women's Conference, is focused on developing you and you as a leader, whether you're a leader of yourself or a leader of people. And They give you an opportunity to develop yourself, but also network. Even with the virtual conference, there were digital matchups, like a virtual speed dating (laughs) sort of thing. I've made some great connections through those conferences through the years, and I look forward every year knowing that I'm going to get to see them. Um, And my husband teases me because every year it's on his birthday. <laughs> and I'm like, happy birthday! You get to have like you can do whatever you want because <laughs> I'm not gonna be home. 
<laughs> but in general, it's a great conference and um, you always take away some really good nuggets and the entire leadership team rotates for that conference and they're all women, <laughs> right? So they're in it for purely being a cheerleader and influencer, sponsor, a mentor or a friend to some other female in the women or in the utility space. There's a different theme every year. Can't stop, won't stop was the theme for this year. It was more targeted towards your mental health and the development of you and to not give up. This last year or year and 18, approaching 18 months for a lot of folks has been really stressful. I think that conference just refreshes people every year. And there's a ton of folks that look forward to it and it gets bigger every year. So I know you're in Australia, (laughs) but if you ever make your way to the U.S., you should come in June. Um, Next year, it's in Detroit. Fantastic. I'll be sure to put a link to that in the show notes so others can um, take a look at it as well. Sounds amazing. And where do you see utilities heading in the future? What opportunities or challenges lie ahead? There are so many different technologies and innovations there that are helping us become sustainable, renewable. I mean, we're trying to capture carbon and make black soap out of it um, in our company today. So the things that we're doing from like tracking and traceability, what we're doing with line locating software, um, the training tools that we have available for people is amazing. One thing that's interesting, we're going to start to see a huge turnover in our industry too. So this industry is, there's a ton of, you know, baby boomers in it. There are people who are now retiring from our company who have 50 years, 60 years. There's some long timers and and you're not going to see that from the generations that are coming up now, but you're also going to see more and more innovation coming from those folks that are starting in the workplace today too. Hey there, thanks for listening. If you're enjoying this episode, there's a few quick things you can do to show your support. Subscribe so you never miss an episode. Leave me a comment letting me know your thoughts and share this podcast with friends and family. Thanks for your support. Now let's get back to the interview. So I'd like to pivot now and and come back to a little bit more about your story and and how you got to where you are today. So I know you mentioned earlier about working in different industries outside of the utilities. Would you mind sharing a little bit more about the path that you've taken to get to your position today? Yeah, sure. So my undergrad degree is in mechanical engineering and the dean of the engineering school that I went to loved power plant engineering. So my senior project was in power plant engineering. My co-op was at Louisville Gas Gas and Electric in Louisville, Kentucky. I worked at a power plant for three semesters. And I really thought that that's what I was going to do forever. (laughs) And I loved it. My mom thought it was the most horrible thing ever. (laughs) Um, But I remember coming home one time uh, from working inside um, a scrubber all day. And I just came home like from work. And I had coal ash from head to toe. And she's like, you need to strip down on the front porch. You can't come (sighs) in my house like this. And so, but I thought it was the coolest thing to get to work on things and get dirty and have, you know, see results out of the stuff that I learned in school. 
but life gets in the way because I got engaged and my then husband had a job somewhere else. It wasn't in Louisville. And I took a job working at a pulp and paper company, making toilet paper and paper towels and wipes, facial wipes and lotions and soaps and very different for working at a power plant. Still interesting. And I learned a ton doing that, but, and I learned about SAP and maintenance schedules and I became a planner and I worked in wastewater and I bought and sold parts. I did procurement for a while. I really thought that was what I was going to do forever. And then I got offered a job somewhere else in the country and I didn't want to move there. And I knew at that point that if I wanted to be a leader in an organization, I was going to have to move. But Mm. that didn't necessarily mean that I had to move to a different town. I just had to move. And I used my network that I knew from working in the manufacturing space in pulp and paper. But also I used my network that I continued to keep up with from working at the power plant And I got a job in pharmaceuticals and I thought pulp and paper was sort of regulated. (laughs) Like I thought some of the things we did was like, why would we do that? Why? Seriously? Until I went to pharma and I was like, whoa, these people are crazy. (laughs) Um, To the, you know, to the nth degree of what color of pen you're writing your name in. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah. Because at the time, photocopies, right? They wanted to know that your your signature wasn't a photocopy, it was an original. So you had to use blue ink. And there were certain ways that you crossed out things on a batch record and the way you initialed and dated them, you know, lots of different nuances that I never thought were really important until I started doing auditing. I went to the pharmaceutical industry as a maintenance team lead. So I went from managing projects in pulp and paper and having indirect reports to having an entire staff of men, except for one woman who reported to me. And I remember having to wear high-heeled shoes into the shop just so I could be loud enough so that they would know I was coming. So they would stop talking about things that were inappropriate to talk about in front of a woman. (laughs) But it was probably one of the best learning experiences in my life though, right? Because I would say 75 to 80% of them were probably twice my age or older. And I was starting from ground zero to having to gain trust with them, build a relationship with them. Before I left, we celebrated Boss's Day and they sent me flowers (laughs) and they made me lunch and they made me a book. And the book was like a children's book, but it was a story about a bear named Bob who did not share. (laughs) And it still makes me laugh to this day because there was a gentleman who was one of the oldest men in the group, and he had been there the longest. He knew everything about everything, but he kept it all in this little notebook that he kept in his pocket. And his name was Bob. On one of his reviews, he said, I just want to retire. And I'm like, then your goal is to transition all the knowledge that you have in your head and then that notebook to the rest of the team. And he didn't want to do it. 
And I'm like, do you realize that you're going to leave your legacy if you do that? Yes. I said, said my whole philosophy in life as a leader is to work myself out of a job. I said, that's what I'm asking you to do. And so I wrote that ultimately in his review. And of course, they weren't supposed to share what they were told in their reviews, but they all did it anyways. So that story was about Bob the bear who did not share but in the end, he did. And it was the funniest story. And I still have it today. <laughs> oh, nice. Very nice. And so from there? Um, so from there, life kind of throws you some curveballs in. I worked in one manufacturing plant in um, southern Indiana. And we had another one 13 miles apart. And the company decided that they were going to consolidate them into one. I basically had to reapply for my existing job, but other jobs um, within the organization. And so I got um, a really sweet deal. I got promoted out of that. (laughs) I ended up helping close down that facility that I originally started working at and transitioning equipment to the other one 13 miles away and also transitioning equipment and products to Puerto Rico And then got the opportunity because I raised my hand and said, I know I can do this project. Let me prove it to you. And we took 300,000 square feet of empty warehouse space and converted it into manufacturing space. And so I was the lead for that project at the facility at the time. But I kind of gave up my life (laughs) to do Mm -hmm. that. So because I was working like 12, 14 hour days at the plant, I would literally go to work in the morning, work all day, come home, eat dinner, and then get back on my computer and work till 11, 12 o'clock at night, go to bed. Somebody call me in the middle of the night and answer a question, go back to sleep, get up and do it all over again. (laughs) At that same time that that project was going on, um, my current husband and I, Um, decided that we wanted to have kids. So my husband had already had three children in a previous marriage and they were all older kids. And he said, if you, you know, you want to have kids, we, you know, you want to stay married to me, you really have to find another job. And he's like, you just need to have a different balance. And if you want to have kids, we need to do it together and you need to find another job. So I used again, my network of folks from other places and an HR director that actually used to work at the pharmaceutical plant that I was working at called and she said, Hey, I, I have this job. I know it's probably completely different than what you're doing now. She's like, but it, I know you want out. I know you want a different balance in life. I think this would be a good starter job for you. And you don't have to manage people right now. Okay. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll let me interview for it. The day that I said yes to that job is also the same day that my husband and I got a baby. (laughs) We were foster parents and we'd been doing that for a really long time. And we decided that we really wanted to adopt. We were planning on early elementary school age child. We had rooms set up for a boy and a girl. We had clothes from like size three to like size 12. We were like all pumped for that. And then they, we get this call and they say, we have a baby. She's three months old. You have 15 minutes to decide. Oh my goodness. (laughs) And I was like, can I at least call my husband? She's like, well, I guess just (laughs) hang up and call me back. And I was like, are you for real? (laughs) Wow. Um, And so 
he's like, just do it. This is like what we wanted. Just do it. And so the day I said yes to that job and then that happened, I walked in my boss's office and I'm like, I quit. <laughs> I'm like, and I have to go spend like three grand at Walmart. So I, I will be back on Monday <laughs> for my two weeks notice. So that's how I ended up in the utility industry. I guess it's been nine years now, almost nine years because my daughter just turned nine. So... I took that job as a, an investment planning manager. So I was doing a 10-year forecast uh, for capital investments for gas and electric. And I was completely um, bored. <laughs> and it literally lasted about uh, six months. And I went to my boss's office and I said, I appreciate this job. I like what I'm doing, but it's not enough. And if you don't give me something else to do, I'm going to quit. At that time, we had had an incident and the utility commission said we had to come up with a quality program. And he's like, well, since you've had experience doing that and you're bored, I, I'm going to give you this to do. And so I created our quality management organization, which is basically an, an auditing group for contractors about compliance requirements, regulatory compliance, and contractual requirements. And that's really how my quality stint got started in the utility business. Right. What I heard from that is a lot of you using your networks in order to get your next position and also you being really open and honest with people about what it is you were looking for and what it is you wanted. Is that the kind of advice that you would give to women who are looking to make a career in utilities? Without a doubt, it's very difficult for people to read your mind, right? You need to be honest with yourself, but you also need to make sure that you're sharing that with others, like what you want. And it's okay if you change your mind or you try it and you're like, "Ooh, that was a bad idea. <laughs> I want to go down a different direction. But if you don't try, then you don't know. If you're willing to raise your hand and people know you, and you're really you, not someone else when you're at work and then someone different at home. For one, that's exhausting. But two, then people start to think that you're fake and they're not going to trust you. If you show that tenacity and your personality and your willingness to just gut it out and that grit, because that's what it takes to be in the utility industry. It's not all rainbows and unicorns. It's not fabulous work some days. Some days it's hot and it's horrible, but it's rewarding too. So it's amazing what happens when you listen to people and you connect with them. I encourage every woman who's interested in getting into the utility space to just be you be the brilliant person that you are, be the bold person that you are, and just go for it. It's a great industry to work in. You mentioned earlier that sometimes it's not always rainbows and unicorns. I'd be interested to know what challenges you faced in getting to where you are today. You have to earn everybody's respect. If you do what you say you're going to do, you earn people's respect, whether it's a male or a female. 
And if you're willing to put in the time and the effort, you gain that respect. And not losing it in a moment of crisis is a perfect example of that. So, and, and a story that's associated with that is I was the manager over quality management and, and developed the safety management system efforts for a good year and a half. And the director spot um, that I was reporting to was left vacant. And um, the vice president at the time said, you're going to have to prove it to me if you want that job. So I'm not filling it. I'm not posting it. I'm waiting. You have to truly prove that you can do the job before you get it. And that doesn't matter if, if that's a leadership job or an individual contributor job. You need to prove that you can do the job, not only to yourself, but to others, the stakeholders in your circle of influence, that you can do it before you get it. <laughs> then after you get it, you have to continue that effort. And so he, he um, awarded me that position and he came in my office and he's like, are you really ready for this? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I got it. I'm good. I'm ready. And in the first year, I was the director over quality and compliance we had seven explosions that year. At one point, the director of operations came in my office and he said, it's really not like this every day. <laughs> but talk about trying to find that grit and to not lose it when you have to stand in front of the utility commission or stand in front of families of injured employees or families of people who have been injured in the general public and establish if it's our fault or not it is awful. But that's the bad that you take with all of the other rewarding things and the really cool things that you get to do every day. Who has helped you in times like that? Have you had mentors, role models, champions that you've been able to go to in times like that? Yes, a ton. You kind of have them that are for one particular thing. And then you have a group that's maybe for a season. And then a group that you will have that will last for a lifetime. I guess my power board is probably what I would call them more than anything. The, that group of people who I could call on to give me advice or to walk me off a ledge <laughs> or to cheer me up be my cheerleader. And then there's those folks who are your sponsors that you don't even know sometimes that are your sponsors. And then of course you have folks that are your peers or your friends that just are there to listen to you vent <laughs> when you need it most, um, or maybe drink a glass of wine with you or two. <laughs> but uh, knowing who those people are and knowing who to go to about certain things is really key. You know, know which one of those folks you can go to to vent and which one you can't. And sometimes you've had a mentor or a coach so long and they know you so well that maybe they become more of a friend, but you've got to make sure that you understand where they are in that five 
and where they think they are in that five. Yes. Because if you then go to them as a friend to vent, it may backfire on you. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to like kick someone off your board, right? <laughs> if there are things that happen and you don't feel like that person needs to be in your circle of power or you're on your board of directors anymore, then find someone else to fill the spot. They, they've um, exceeded their term. Yeah, really good advice there. So one one question that came to mind in hearing your your story earlier is whether you've achieved that work life balance that that you felt you needed earlier on that you didn't have. To be honest, I think I have. I work for a really great company that allows you that flexibility if you need to go home, pick up your kid or me, get an opportunity to leave early for work or work from home so I can see my daughter ride um, for horseback riding lessons. Then we can do that. So I try really hard to make sure that I'm home for dinner every night, um, that I do homework every night. And then knowing that it's my husband's turn, right? When I have to go out of town and that there's a good balance in that and that we're a good team and everybody understands when I'm home, I'm home. And when I have to go to work, then I go to work. You know, sometimes work wins out, but sometimes home wins out. So I feel like it's a good balance and I'm happy where I am. Excellent. And what would you say is your proudest achievement? And it could be from your work life or personal life or even something in your community. My daughter is my proudest achievement. It was a long battle. took two years to be able to actually adopt her. And she went back to her biological family twice and was abused and neglected twice. And for four months, we basically had to share custody with a biological half-sister until the judge decided who she was going to live with forever. So my family survived that and my daughter is thriving. Um, When she came to live with us, she was three months old and she was still wearing newborn clothes. And today she's nine and four foot 10 (laughs) and wears a size women's a size seven in women's shoes. So uh, she's definitely made up for it and um, she's doing awesome. Oh, that's so good to hear. That is great. That's beautiful. Do you have a favorite book or what are you reading right now? I'm reading the happiness track. The book is really about your journey um, and your career and how you make choices that ultimately make you happy, right? Back to that work-life balance and the resiliency and the grit that you have to have in life in general. It's a leadership book. I'm taking it as a part of the American Gas Association leadership development for the next level class, but it's a great story. I'm really digging it. Excellent. Definitely going to look that one up. And is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners? Look into the utility industry, learn more about it, be willing to say yes more than you're willing to say no, because you never know what is just around the corner for you. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Nancy. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for allowing me to do this. Have a wonderful day. That's a wrap on another episode of the Women in Utilities podcast. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, comment, and share this podcast. I'll be back in another month with the next episode. But until then, keep powering on.